Super Pulp Science has done the impossible. We're coming up on our 100th episode, and we would like to invite you to send your comments and questions for a very special Ask Us Anything Super Pulp Science 100th episode. You can send your questions and comments to ChasingArtwork.com or comment on the Chasing Artwork Facebook page or Instagram page. Or at GMB Kamichuk on Instagram, on Twitter. You can email me at gmbkamichuk at alchemicalpress.com. We'll be reading and commenting back to all questions and it can be big questions, it can be small questions, it can be silly questions, it can be profound questions. If you want to ask us the questions and have your, your message incorporated into the podcast, you can actually record a message to us through Anchor. You have to download the Anchor app and look up Super Pulp Science, and there is an option to record and send us a, an audio message that we can then incorporate into the podcast as well. So that might be a lot of fun. It's like taking callers. Well, I also wanted to do, uh, like, set up Facebook Live. Yeah. So live live questions. We'll yep. have live questions coming up as well. Please send us your questions, comments, or concerns by December eighth in time to be answered on our one hundredth episode. This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Good Boys, available for pre-order at highwaterpress.ca. Attention citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, and our excellent producer, Dan, also known as Dan. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. I don't have a cool brand Fan name. Quest, Dan? Fan, no. Dan Quest? Dan Quest. No, we've heard that one before. Ugh, you're so sick of it, right? <laughs> so sick of it. I uh, ran into a buddy of mine, uh, Toby, who worked on Red Earth. Yes. And he's also in a big commercial playing here in the province for MPI. Is it the one with the angry guy? The road rage, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel and like so that... I made the mistake that I tell myself not to be that guy. Is like to see people and immediately talk about their work, even though you know them for different things right. than that. Yes. And as soon as I saw him, I said, uh, which was at the theater awards, I was like, you know, hey, I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing this, but. Uh, oh, is that's the, where I recognize him from. He was in Red Earth. That's right. That's right. I'm at the movie theater, and my friend is there with me, and your face is on the screen, and I got to say, like, oh, I worked with that guy, and it was, like, you know, made me feel so special and, like, adjacent to fame. <laughs> and uh, he was like, yeah, yeah, thanks. He was so gentle and kind with his response. But we're at these theater awards, so there's a whole bunch of people there, and I swear the next ten people – the first thing they said to him was about this commercial. <laughs> and he was so good about each one not having a canned response for them. I, shout out to Toby on that's this podcast. That's very cool. Uh, Can you imagine that happening for decades? Like if you were in a movie in well, the 70s that was popular <laughs> and now that's all you're known for and all anybody wants to talk about is that six months of work you did 30 years ago. So this is, this is what a lot of writers deal with, a lot of creative people, right? Like Stephen King is often, everyone says the stand is his yeah, best work. Yeah. Well, 
What about the book he wrote last year? Yeah. Right? The eight books he wrote last year? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's that as well. Or I was thinking about uh, the What's the Beef Lady. Remember that one from, oh, from the old days? Like that or, lady. Uh, I fall in and I can't get out. Yeah, the, all those things. You know, the only one, the one commercial people are known for. Now, the fortunate thing is that likely he will go on to do other things and that oh, commercial certainly. will run its course and then we'll all forget about it. Yeah, he's but too talented. It, not it's, it's just a matter of kind of it being very concentrated in the local media. Um, part of the uh, the effects of, of the new media on traditional media is that uh, there's lots of space, lots of airtime available. So they'll they'll put it on as much as possible. So you'll see it every single commercial break when you're watching TV. You'll see it on, um, you know, during the movie. You saw it at the movie theater, yeah. right? Uh, there's billboards all over the city right now with his face on it, giving the finger. Well, it looks like he's giving the finger to people. I just, I look at that and I see myself in that character. Like, I'm like, that's, yeah, that's me. I'm super nice to people, but I get in the car and I'm just a big a-hole. That's... <laughs> I hate it. I swear. I yell at people, but I'm by myself in the car, so I'm not yelling at them so they can hear me. I'm just yelling in frustration. Which is it, is it similar to like commenting on the internet? You're protected in your car, so you just feel like yeah, is that I, anonymous rage? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't. I don't actually want an interaction with anybody. No. I just want to express myself to myself. So here's a question for you. Uh, well, you do radio stuff, and yeah. you are internet famous. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, I I qualify it with internet famous because like you walk down the street, people don't scream; they're chasing everyone. Unless it's me at a con, and I yell after. <laughs> it's happened a handful of times. Somebody recognized me, right? And that was cool. What does what's that like for you guys? How does that? I don't feel? get recognized. I my my name, my my mailman knows that I'm on the radio. Right. He looks looks at my mail and sees my name and say, Are "You on CGOB?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Cool." I listen to CGOB. <laughs> just, so uh, you're able to just kind of uh, be secretly. I'm not part famous. Of I'm just. I'm just, uh, I'm just well, a. And here's the thing. The I think what I'm getting at is that there's a difference between being famous and being recognizable. Sure. Right. Um, and I wonder at what point does the crossover start to affect your personal life negatively? Yeah, like there you are know? some people who are so famous they can't be a normal person anymore. Right. Like, I'm sure Brad Pitt is just, like, I don't, he probably doesn't know how, he acts fairly different than a normal person because he exists in a different world than, you know, you can't go, you can't walk down the street when you're Brad Pitt. That's not a thing you can do without inciting a crowd and... Mania. I don't know that he gets that necessarily, but it certainly is every single person says, hey, you're Brad Pitt. Every single person he runs into. Yeah, what does that do to your brain <laughs> over time? It can't be good for no. you. I don't know. No. I don't know. And so um, I think that there's a certain anonymity that comes from book fame. You know, like I've talked to other people who are quote unquote famous, and they've all said that they'd rather be Neil Gaiman famous than, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. famous. Yeah, like Neil Gaiman, I wouldn't recognize him if he was in this building. Oh, I, like, I, would I know the name, him. but yeah. I, I don't know what he looks yeah, like. Really. This right, yeah. right? I would uh, recognize uh, him for sure. I know what he looked like in the eighties. Yeah, so I, I've seen old pictures of him with this big feather, feather hair and that. So that's what I imagine he looks like now. But I'm sure he doesn't. See, and that's the joy of book fame. You know, if yeah. J.K. Rowling could walk by in the airport, and she would look like any other middle-aged, you know, white woman walking by. There'd be a flock of owls always <laughs> above her. Something like that. Something like that. Something a magical. flock of NDAs probably <laughs> more likely than that. And weird tweets. And weird tweets. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about a couple of things. I've been skirting around the issue here, but uh, you had a great segue. Maybe we should start with that. 
Justin got robbed. <laughs> well, let's talk about Entercon first. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Entercon. Yeah, we. Uh, I we... wish I could have gone. I really did. I was had so much going on last weekend. It was a busy weekend for fandom in in our city. There was also the Game of Toba happening yeah, tabletop gaming I saw convention. That. And uh, there's something else. Oh, it was also no, it wasn't. I was. Oh yeah, superhero showdown. I did go yeah. to that at the WSO. They played a bunch of uh, music from different superhero mu- movies and stuff. I was feeling a little yeah. conflicted that I didn't go to the board game thing since yeah. I'm working on one right now. But but it was just a lot happening at the same time. And I saw you guys. Uh, I saw photos from Entercon. You guys looked well, like you're having a great say, time. I was going to say, but the yeah. loyalty went with my children, who when they found out they Entercon had was so Onagon, much fun, they were yeah 100% dad. Are you doing Entercon, Dad? Can you do Entercon? I was like, I don't know. I don't really do Transformer stuff, Dad. You have to do Entercon, Dad. People who like transforming robots like weird science fiction stuff you do weird science fiction stuff are you gonna do Entercon? they're making the connection for you <laughs> yeah. that's awesome so yeah Entercon is a small local transformers theme convention that happens uh biannually like every yeah. two years they have it and it's a pretty small event and for pretty hardcore like transformer toy collectors and which run is, and run by people who i think are in it for the fandom like it's a real appreciation there's all this programming to make you excited about transforms yeah. the property yeah, yeah yeah it's not huge it's not expensive the people attend. running it yeah. probably do it so they can bring all those vendors to one place so they can buy, buy stuff the, buy all the yeah. stuff from them yeah, <laughs> just, so <laughs> just their own convenience yeah yeah the first year we had fan quest uh we had one of our guests was a guy named dc douglas who was a voice oh, yeah. actor yeah. and his one of his many many things he'd done as far as voice acting was he was the oh, i don't remember the name of the transformer it was in the chase i believe it was the chase the the, the, the car transformer and the children's we're rescue talking bots. little kids rescue bots yeah. but even then entercon was there they had a table and they had a table just promoting their con and that was their thing they were focusing on this guy's here he does a transformer voice and they were very much very excited about him being there mm-hmm. so i thought that was kind of cool and they, yeah they seemed like a great group of people and again it looked like everyone had a great time at uh, at entercon yeah so and there's a nice photo uh, circulating on the internet of you with one of your <laughs> yeah. sons well they don't realize they, d- they didn't realize it was took your the son? photo didn't realize that the way i was able to make that perfect connection with that child in that photo and they're getting i'm um, you know getting kudos for like being there for the kids. That's my own child. <laughs> <laughs> he loves me as a default setting. So. Oh my God. Look at all the junk food. So you got robbed. Yeah, so. Not at Intercon. Oh, okay. Not at Intercon. Not at Intercon. Um, so after Intercon, I packed up all my stuff into my car and I made the mistake of not unloading it and leaving my stuff in my car. Overnight? Yeah. Okay. So it's, uh, we have a studio with a loading dock, but that all gets shut down during the weekend. So this was a one day show. Uh, so Saturday night after the show, I parked downtown and woke up Sunday morning to find my car had been broken into. And the thieves had taken two suitcase, suitcases out of the car and then dragged them to a nearby construction site and opened up the suitcases and sprayed my artwork all over the construction site. So I have this video of just my prints floating in the wind and flying around. Um, so they left the one suitcase there and consolidated. They'd, they'd broken into a couple cars. So I think they took my one big suitcase, smashed a bunch of cars up, and then the other stuff they stole, they put into my red suitcase and ended up stealing from me... Um, so, like, the, of the two suitcases they stole, the, the one little one, they left there. The red one they took, which was full of all my backstand banners, like all my vinyl oh, banners no, and my yeah. artwork, and three portfolios worth of my work. 
So what kind of like weirds me out is so dear Winnipeg, if you see yeah. a really sweet red so they, suitcase, they opened it up and they saw that all it was is prints and vinyl banners of my artwork, and is really heavy. And then they packaged it back up and wandered like they're off with it. They, I don't know what they're gonna do with it. So there's either like a shanty town by the river that is now covered in chasing artwork banners, or some pawn shop is going to be... Nobody would take that. I don't yeah, think, exactly. Like, I mean, they could. Tr- I mean, I don't, these don't strike me as the kind of people who would have like a, the savvy to start an online store <laughs> no. to sell your stuff. Like, you know, there, there is a value to the work. Of course there is, but not the way these people hope there is. No. Right? So, yeah, and I know I'm generalizing, generalizing, but the kind of people who break into cars are looking for quick money, generally speaking, yeah. right? So. And that's like... This is all stuff that it's very, it's replaceable. Yeah. Um, it's good so that you don't have any cons coming up. So yeah, you can re- I do have do something that. at the end of uh, the month. I'm going to the Calgary Holiday Show. Okay. But I do have other stuff that I can put up. So, I mean, yeah, like you it really. You can use B-list stuff. Yeah, yeah. It sucks and I'm angry, but there it could have been a lot worse. There's And I think a lot of people that same night lost a lot more than I did. Yeah. So, yeah. So my red suitcase, if anybody sees somebody walking around with a fire red suitcase with a bunch of Jake Abernathy stickers all over them, punch him in the nose for me. <laughs> Get the suitcase back. Get you know, the suitcase. about the suitcase. Okay. So desperate people do desperate things. Yeah. Mm. And that's the other part right? of it, right? Like, and it's, you know, Justin and I were talking about it. He was at, you know, he actually is more riled up now than he was after it happened. He was sort of, you were kind of like, it was the stages of grief maybe. Like, yeah. Um, or maybe you're holding back because my kids were there. But <laughs> that was a sensation when I got home because they rushed in to tell Tara, you know, like, oh, Justin got robbed, oh, you know, whatever. But if you're a person who is in a position where smashing in someone's car and stealing the contents of their trunk in order to try and get 20 or 40 bucks, I think in the long run... Uh, what do you say to those people? Like, I'm sorry that that's the state of your life. Like, it, you know, it's as much as it's an inconvenience to us. Well, it's either that or it could just be teenagers being bad people. You never. You I know. was a bad teenager. I don't yeah. like anyone's No, but I had friends stuff. who did that um, as bad teenagers. I had friends when I was a teenager who used to well, do that. Well, all this smashed in windows. Winnipeg is going through a huge vandalism kick right now. Just crime in general is yeah. up. Yeah. Um, and some of it is... Pointless and like I, I, it's funny because I, I very rarely keep things of value in my car. Mm-hmm. Like generally, it's just the car itself, and I don't keep anything in overnight. So I will often forget to lock the doors. And sometimes when that happens, I come out to find that somebody has rummaged through my glove box and through my compartments to look for stuff. There's never anything there. No. In fact, they've left things of value that they. I don't remember. <laughs> there was something that they they could have taken that would have been worth something, and they didn't. I can't remember what it was. Um, anyway, that, but that, that they're looking for, like, they'll clean up my change of my little change thing if I've got a couple bucks in there, that kind of stuff. So it's a shame yeah. that, that people are in that state. So are you covered? Do you have insurance on this stuff? Or how when does you it work? leave stuff in your car overnight and it gets stolen, that's on you. Oh, okay. It was my, like, okay. the, yes, the, the vandalism, the broken window yeah. is you that's have covered. Yeah. Um, but anything stolen out of your car is you being silly. Don't do that. I've, yeah, I've done it like a handful of times and I've been lucky up till now and I've learned my lesson. So, yeah. So this brings us round to the topic of the difference between a desperate thief who is like, you know, either a uh, vandal or a drug addict or a who knows what terrible situation that they found themselves in um, 
to a person who willfully um, obfuscates the truth, lures in unsuspecting people, lies, cheats, and steals. Blue water? Are we talking about blue water? We're not talking about blue water, <laughs> but we are talking about a former publisher of mine, Cheezine Publications, CZP. Uh, and news broke this past couple of days of all of their shady dealings have finally come to light and many of their author backlist have all come forward with similar stories and um, you can watch live on Twitter the implosion of one of the largest publishers of Canadian science fiction uh, in you know so why is this just happening now what was the inciting incident for this whole thing to come crumbling down? So I don't want to tell any stories that aren't mine, but I will say that from what I can tell, there was two elements. One element was an author that came forward and just came out and said, they're not paying, my, paying me my royalties and they're not uh, giving me back my rights. And so I've Jeez. asked a number of times and I went to a to the guild, you know, science fiction guild, and I asked someone to intercede on my behalf, and they're still not doing it, and so I've gone public. And then when that happened, I don't know if it was the one that triggered the other, but as far as I can dig back into the uh, into the social media storm, there was also a person who said who was uh, making allegations of bigotry and racism against the uh, publishers at Cheezine also at the same time, and these two bits of truth seem to combine into a much stronger force. And then everybody else started coming out with yeah. similar so stories. It's the grit that makes the oyster. In well, it, it's similar, pearl, it right? is similar to the Me Too movement in a lot of ways because this one person comes forward with the story, hashtag Me Too, and then you realize it has happened to many people. Not not to that scale, obviously, and not as, as, not as serious as the Me Too movement, but... Uh, you know, once you realize, oh crap, other people are. This is happening to other people too. Yeah. That makes your story that much more relevant, right? Much so, more relevant. Yeah. And then the cascade effect. So here's the the craziest thing about it is we were telling a um, a collaborator of ours who was into the studio to talk about a book project that Justin and I are doing, uh, and she was. I was telling her the story of cheesing before any of this news broke. Actually, as it was breaking, yeah. unbeknownst to you, you were telling the story. We were telling, and I was saying, somebody is going to step up, someone who has um, just had enough and has enough dogs in the fight that they just are going to come so, out. Yeah, tell us what they've been doing. Like, what's... Well, a funny thing I want to mention is that, so then three hours later, I'm on Twitter, and it turned out that almost to the minute or like within 15 minutes of us having that conversation with that collaborator, it was happening. Like it was literally happening at the same time, an interesting bit of synchronicity. And what I'm seeing on my end is uh, people I know who have had, who published their books through Cheezine um, are posting this publicly on, on social media saying, I have asked for the rights back for my work, blah, blah, blah. And, and received them. And that's the usually... The fact that they're immediately giving the rights back to the authors, that's... Is that not like just a big admission of guilt? Pretty much. Yeah, That's what sure I take is. from that. Yeah. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. My experience with the publisher in general was it began very positively. And the foreword of my book, Infinitum, contains a very positive story of working with them. There's a great clip of you in that documentary. There's a documentary crew following you around when you got the emails back that they not only 
greenlit your one project, but they greenlit like your other pitch Absolutely. as well, and you were so excited. Yeah, the fires of hope were kindled in me when a major science fiction publisher in Canada said, yes, we would like to um, launch our graphic novel imprint with your work. Mm -hmm. um, hooray! Hurrah! Hurrah! But I should... So here is their modus operandi, as far as I can tell. They are supported by government grants, which is a thing that sometimes happens in Canada with publishers. Um, if they are publishing work, and they meaning any publisher that is publishing work that maybe is an unrepresented voice or something that might not have a larger audience because it's not considered sort of maximum commercial. Well, because it's Canada as well, and our population doesn't support a That's lot right. of smaller things. So the government will support publishing or publishers and say, if you are um, going to publish a certain number of these voices, then we will also support you so that you don't have to take a financial risk on every single one. Mm -hmm. All right? So that's a good thing about Canada. The bad thing about the system is that a publisher can then... You know, we were talking about a bad Ponzi scheme, right? Yeah. This is sort of what it was. They would take the grant money from one book, publish that book, put it into print, put it into stores, and then instead of take the revenue from that book sale, they would just put that into their personal finances, and then they would get the next grant and then pay some royalties back to people and print another book and then get the next grant and kind of roll forward the government's good graces. So were they paying some royalties, just not all of them, or some people they're just not paying at all? So they in, picking my, and choosing? in my personal experience, they paid in advance, but would always have an excuse about the royalties. Oh, we're getting a new accountant. Oh, we're having trouble tracking that. Oh, BookScan hasn't given us our numbers back. Oh, don't worry, that's coming later. Oh, we're redoing our paperwork. Oh, we're redoing So you got paid website. to get started, but yes. once the book was done, you didn't see it. That's right. And orders came in, and they were strong enough on Infinitum and Midnight City for us to extend Midnight City into two more volumes. So I was like, hey, it's a long relationship that I have with these people. It's going to go on for a couple of years just getting these books published. It's no sweat for me. I was in a position uh, with a regular job. Yeah, this is time. when you're still teaching. So I'm yep. not sweating that they're giving me, in good faith, I thought it was good faith, a reasonable explanation as to why publishing's hard, why the money takes a long time. And I already had had experiences in publishing, so I knew it can be six months to a year before you know the distributor finally gets the money into the place it's supposed to be. And if there's another hiccup, well, that adds another six months. And then when I understood. that six months turned into two years. Right. But then reviews are coming in from the first, from Infinitum. People are really liking it. They're inviting me out to festival things. There's momentum building around it. So, of course, I turn in Midnight City, again, as a good faith move. And they do pay their advance, as paltry as it was. Um, and I had a different situation, I think, than a lot of people because... Wait, wait, wait. Do you think that advance came from the pockets of another author? Uh, guaranteed. Yeah, guaranteed it did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't... It wasn't it, yeah, oh my gosh. So, I, an interesting point that I think is worth mentioning is one of the other reasons I wasn't overly concerned about the money that was coming from them is I was doing 10 or 15 shows a year and I had bought a portion of the print run, a thousand copies of the books myself at, at print cost. At print cost. So for 250 a book, I had a thousand books and I was going to shows and I was earning 
without the distributor in the middle, without a bookstore in the middle. So the book was, it to me, already a financial success compared to so many you other You personally brought in enough money to justify the work you put into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. Because yeah. you were I in that unique myself. position where yeah. you had, yeah, distribution. So, of course, I'm not sweating it. And other people I know, um, and again, I'm, I'm making an effort not to speak for anybody else, even though I have some direct <laughs> stories. Uh, everyone is telling their own story right now. So just look up Cheesy. Yeah, just, just search that. Twitter. You'll see everybody talking You'll about see it. everyone talking yeah. about it. They'll tell their own stories. But at that time, I had reached out to people and said, you know, is this odd or strange or whatever? And now I see it for the manipulation that it was, not by those other authors. Some of them said, no, it takes a while for them to pay. Oh, I'm wondering. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But the publishers, Brett and Sanders, seemed to make a careful effort to, they invited me out to a show in Toronto. They let me stay at their house and they introduced me to some authors whom I guess they take good care of. Who are in their inner circle. And, and they do pay royalties who too. They do do everything right. Too. Okay. And so I met those people and they were really happy and they've been working with them for years. And they take care of their friends. It's kind of what it was seem like. So I'm introduced to a bunch of people who are happy with them. I'm like, oh man, this is what it's like to be on the in, inside of the circle. That's great. That's that's the goal. You to stayed look at towards. their house. Wow. So you were you were right in there. Well, so now what's come out is that this is their move. So many people sharing stories about how they would invite you in to be close and then speak to you in confidence. I'm going to share this secret with you about, you know, things are a little tough. We're going to do this. Um, but we really trust you. We really like you. Whisper, whisper, whisper. This is what's happening with these other people. Whisper, whisper, whisper. And... Um, you know, I like hot goss as much as the next person, but there's a certain point where you're just telling shit out of school. And what they didn't know is that some of those people were people I knew. So I was able to corroborate, or I guess the opposite of corroboration, that these stories did not match. Right. And so I started to become more and more suspicious and work much harder to um, CYA, as they say, right? Cover my own ass. Mm. Um, to make sure that when the books were printed, copies were sent to me and that I would charge back to the publisher those copies. I wouldn't pay out of my, right? Send it COD, the books would come. I would refuse the COD, but they'd ship to me anyway. And I'd say, well, I'm not the publisher. They should pay for it. And the person, the poor shipper, doesn't really care, right? right. They know someone's going to chase that invoice, so then they'd send it back. And then Cheezing would say to me, hey, listen, you owe us money for those. And then I would say, hey, you owe, us, you owe me my royalty statements that you haven't <laughs> given. So this is a good quid pro quo. Right. And that went oh, on. That's a bad phrase to be using these days. Uh, <laughs> you're right. I'm using it in the old Silence of the Lambs. That's not, that's not good either. That's not good. <laughs> With your good bag. Screaming of the lambs. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, but it was like that, like institutionalized, right? This, this feeling that you had that something's going bad and maybe it's just me. Maybe they're just doing that to me. Maybe I'm on the out. Maybe wow. they don't like graphic novels. Maybe this is something I said. I don't like being bullied, and I stand up for myself. So there was a few times when they said shitty things to me, and I just did not stand for it um, and, like, forced them to apologize to me directly mm -hmm. right in the moment. And then after that, they just wouldn't talk to me, right? Um, and it sort of culminated in an invitation that I had to TCAF where – I set up a big display to promote the new copy of my last book with them. 
which was launching a TCAF, and they took down the display that night when I left and put a crappy one that they had done up in its place, which didn't promote the book at all. So the, they promoted only promoted MSG. you until you left, and then for the rest of the weekend they promoted themselves. That's right. Well, and here's the and the other thing too is I was kind of ticked off at that, so I kept really careful track of the number of books I was selling that they were taking the money for, because again I still hadn't seen a royalty statement. And when so, I finally chased them down for that royalty statement, I was able to compare all the times I had kept track of any time we were at tables together, and they were the ones taking the money and they'd be inventorying the books. I'd keep inventory at those same events. And when my numbers came back in and they were wildly off, like they understated those sales. Yeah. Like, well, we only sold five books there. And I'm like, in my Instagram, you can see pictures from 30 books I drew in, right? Like right. these are, this is inaccurate. So and they did that while you were there. While I was you, there. So what are they doing to the people who live in different cities who have no idea oh, yeah. what's going on. Well, that's what I was going to ask is that like the only way for an author, so if you're, the only way for an author to know how many copies of their book is sold, unless they sell them directly like you do, is to get a report from the publisher saying this is how many you sold and this is how much money we owe you. Yeah. That's what they're supposed to get. Yeah. And what is this, supposed to be quarterly or how, how often does this happen? You know, every contract is a little bit different, but you know, it can be quarterly, it can be twice a year. Right. You know, some, some smaller publishers say once a year we'll report. And then you yeah. get a lump sum in one, once a yeah. year for your... That's actually not, not a bad way to do it, especially if they're not like flying off the shelves and you're selling yeah. one or two at a time. It's you know, not, when you're not talking bad. not in hundreds of thousands of copies, but in maybe a thousand or two copies. Yeah. It's not a, you know, it's not a kingly... I mean, it's a big deal if, you're, if this is your only source of income. $5,000? I had no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. Well, that's all right. We can just put it right back in there. Thank oh, you. We certainly can, no, Dr. Beckman. No, no, no. I don't want to say I wasn't bothered by it, but why I wasn't sweating it is I had all this other stuff on the horizon for myself. Things were going great as far as my creative output went. Um, in my family life, there was enough to worry about. You know, I've mentioned a number of times this stretch of funerals that we had. So it was the last thing I wanted to worry about was that side of it. And the fact that I would have a new book out every six, eight months helped get me through a pretty like dark period. So like I was balancing the fact that I'm gonna make money from the books I sell myself, so I won't lose money for my time. Like mm -hmm. the amount of time and effort it took me to make those books, I've made back many times over selling those copies myself direct at shows. But I imagine you were like one of the only people able to do that with them. Yeah, I mean, Not, I've seen, you know, I can directly speak that Scott Ford has books at his right. table, so I know that he is, and Arkland is an amazing it's very good. work, so it yeah. sells itself. So if he did, I know he was offered a chance to do a similar kind of scenario where you could buy a portion of the print run, which it turns out, uh, in the terms of the grants that Cheezine was applying for, is not allowed. An oh. author cannot contribute financially to the publication of oh. that work in any oh. way, shape, or form. Hmm. Um, so I was doing it from a business standpoint to say, like, you're going to print, you know, 3,000 books, print 4,000 books, and I'll take 1,000 of them at print cost. Yeah. Um, and they said, yeah, great. And the reason they said that, of course, is because that's – they're getting paid by the grant and they're getting paid by me. So they probably, now this, this next statement, pure speculation, but I assume 
they are applying to pay for the total print cost from the grants, and they took cash from me. So now they have. As far as the government's concerned, they they printed four thousand copies and they sold four thousand or distributed four thousand copies. No need to know where that's going. Yeah, you paid for a thousand. Yeah, no need to know. So okay. this is not a good scenario. No, when, when now, did this... If this was an isolated incident, if mine was the only problem, then you could say, again, it's and did like you, we did. Desperate did you people doing desperate that? things. I thought that. I thought, like, they were Which in a Which is why spot. you weren't and shouting got, from the rooftop? Yeah, and I got all kinds of stories from them, like, oh, you know, our marriage is in a bad spot, and we're working on stuff, and we're just trying to figure things out, and, you know, that's why we're not attending to the business. Like, any time, they knew how to activate my empathy. <laughs> So that I Shouldn't would give them another, you know, four or six weeks before yeah. I would ask yeah. again. Maybe another three months before I would ask again. And then they wouldn't answer that email, so that buys them another Couple weeks. three weeks before I sent it. Well, it turns out they were doing that to dozens and dozens of authors. And how long ago was this for you? When did you, did you ask for and get your rights back for your, for Infinitum and Midnight City? So, okay, so two things. Once that stuff at TCAF happened, the very next day, basically. How long ago was that TCAF? Oh, that would have been after two Midnight City ago? 3 was printed. So that's two years. Three. It's the same year that I got offered Baby Metal at the same event. Okay, actually. there you go. 2017 yeah. would have been, yeah. Um, that's your John Candy story. You were like... That's right. Yeah, I you was. Had, you had to take a second to like breathe and not... That's right. Yeah. Having a bad stuff happen and John Candy was my spirit animal mm-hmm. that day. Um, thanks, John Candy. Yeah, thanks. Um, I know you're just dust and there is no afterlife, but I appreciate <laughs> that your icon was there for me. Um, so I wasn't overly concerned because I had already made my own money. I was maybe an isolated incident, though we had heard from inside that they, you know, didn't treat everyone fairly. I didn't know to the extent that it actually went. And now we're talking, there are allegations of sexual harassment. There are allegations of straight up thievery. There are allegations of, you know, just the most horrendous workplace environments, bullying, belittling, bigotry. Um, And these are all allegations, yes, and we live in a society where you should be, you know, I don't know that any of guilty. Yeah, I don't know that any of this is going to court or anything like that. Yeah, but I can personally attest to the fact that they do talk shit about people constantly. Yeah. And that they will say anything to get their way because that's my direct experience. And, oh, coming back to the rights, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So So where did you get that? So I came back from that event and I sent them basically a letter not asking for the rights back, telling them that they're in breach of contract. Because they haven't paid you. Yeah, they yeah. haven't paid me. I made a list of grievances. Like, these things are in the contract. These you didn't do. Um, I hereby claim my rights back. Oh, okay. And I didn't hear anything from them at all for at least another two months when one of them had the audacity to say, oh, we're applying for a grant and we have to list our published authors. We, for some reason, can't put our hands on your contract. We don't know where it is. Do you think you could send your copy to us? No, was my reply. No, you should keep track of your own contracts. But thanks for letting me know that you don't have it. (laughs) Uh, And then, then I got another email which basically summed up this way. Oh, we found your contract. Could you please sign this last page of it? And then they forward me a blank last page of a contract. With nothing attached With to nothing it. nothing attached to it. Could you please sign this? Like so signing that, a blank check? Yeah. yeah. To which I replied, 
under no circumstances am I signing the last page of a contract. Like, what do you think? Who do you think I am? Like, do people fall for this? I think I actually. I think they that. do because they don't. They think, oh, that's, what's the point in sending the whole thing when you see it all on email? Oh, you just need the sign part of it. That but, must be so. People, but not these days. They can do e-signatures and stuff. So there's yeah. the technology's gotten better as far as that stuff. And goes. it's definitely so that they could have appease their grants right, 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 right. yeah it, yeah right um but you'd already left at that point you were like okay i'm not i'd already with you so guys. i had for as far as i was concerned i was willing if they wanted to take it to a legal battle i was ready i gave them my legal stance that you're in breach of contract all of this stuff is mine i'm going to proceed from this point forward as if all of these rights are mine you must also do so. But wait, did they, after you said, I'm not going to sign this blank contract, yeah. did they send you the full one or it was no. clear that they didn't no. have the full one? I got one. this like they were trying to super just... angry email about how I'm trying to sabotage them. And so that... they didn't have a contract and they were totally just trying to pull one over on you. Yeah. yeah. And how do you lose track of a document like that? You know how I found the contract? I looked in my own email thread. I typed my name cheesing contract and the book title and there it was as a shared document between us i went into that document and i deleted them as a person that could yeah yeah <laughs> edit it or see it anymore that's probably where they were getting it from too and then they couldn't see no it, it was after that oh track. after that okay. i got yeah, right. i was like yeah i have it and i have it on, i have it in a, and it was an as difficult drive. as doing a google search. i have it yeah, as a yeah. backup on my drive right yeah. i had a physical contact somewhere physical but i was like can't be this hard to find yeah i looked it up i found it they just had not I, you can see in a google doc the last time someone logged in to look at something they hadn't for uh. the whole year i was the one that had created that form for them so i yeah disengaged them from being able to see it <laughs> and said no hmm. but this is again yeah i was sort of standing up for myself not realizing that what i should have done because i was in a position of strength is reached out more often to more people about what their experience well was. i don't know that that's your responsibility to isn't do. it though i don't know i mean you are you know you're you got to look out for number one right no we just watched <laughs> avengers endgame again in the studio i can't help but feel like there's some responsibility to what, the what's group. the line what's the line from that no uh uh no one dies what is the line from or maybe it's from uh infinity war whatever it takes no uh <laughs> Not worth dying. So I can't remember. There's a Doctor Strange line where he says something to. Uh, but Captain I guess what I'm getting at, what I feel bad about, is that if I had, from a position of strength, from a position of someone who didn't lose money, hadn't lost money for my labor, simply exposed the bullshit earlier, maybe I could have saved, you know, two years of suffering for some of these interns and some of these contractors and some of these other authors. And I didn't. Well, I, I would know. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it too much. I just you know it's good that this has happened now and that these people come forward and and you know they're being kind of called out for what they've done. But it's uh, I mean I don't know. This I've never is, been in that position, so I'm drawing a parallel now because years ago when we first like were mm -hmm. meeting at conventions. I started doing work for a comic book company called Blue Water. Yeah, you guys have talked about this before. In the yeah, past. and the yeah. only other person I knew that had worked for them was you. And I had gotten to the point where I would started asking for royalties and sales reports and stuff. And was they did the exact same thing, right? Like, oh, the book hasn't made any money. Oh, we can't. We don't have those. Oh, blah, blah. You know, like they were clearly lying to me and clearly just trying to like get me to go away. Yeah. So I approached you yeah. and you were like, oh, they're great. Everything's working out well because I had 
you I was further along sooner. that journey yeah. than you were. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. again, that made me feel like, oh, maybe it was just me, maybe. And, and then, then you just kept it quiet. So it turned out they've been doing the same thing. That's their MO. Is, but I, co- I did a CIA cover your ass thing in that scenario too. I mean, you know, they were asking for work and I, and I would trade work for ads across their product line because I had books of my own coming up. So they're like, oh, you know, the cash isn't coming in, but we need stuff for the new issue. And I would say, hey, no problem. Um, print this ad for the Imagination Manifesto in all of your books across your line. And, you know, we'll call it even on quid pro quo. <laughs> yeah, <clarities. laughs> and so as a person starting out in comics, having ads for your books in a whole bunch of books that are in comic stores sure. everywhere to me was worth it. Yeah. And the promise of some future payment was also okay because at that time, again, I had a great day job, which I liked. That's the same thing with cheesing. Don't worry about that first book. The second book, as soon as you do, like, we're going to print that one for you, and we're going to print another one after that. Like, the fact that you have a publisher that'll print the books you give them, like, that's, you made it, right? Right. So you don't worry about those first royalties because the second book is more exciting and the third book is even more exciting. And on and on it goes. And on and on it goes. We got one! And this was one of those scenarios where cheesing came after that. So one of the reasons I was so kind of careful to make sure that I had at least something of physical value in my hands was because I'd already gone through a scenario where... I've done a bunch of work for a shiesty publisher, right? But you've had, so in your career, you've had, this is this, like, are there more experiences with publishers that are similar to this? You no, had, or this just... is a, these two, and they seem cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Okay. Um, so would you say, else, Blue Water is now, so I don't want to get their name wrong. They've claimed Change. bankruptcy and started that was their, their new name. For a while, they would, they would reassign all of the IP from their previous company to a new company and then make their first company go bankrupt use the same logo but a different name so they were like Tidal Wave for a while and yeah. then Tidal Comics the other thing is they are located in Vancouver Washington uh. and so they would like specifically target Canadian artists say we're so in Vancouver we're yep. in Vancouver publish with us and then once that Canadian artist tried to get money or tried to pursue legal action oh they're in the States so can't really do, they can't do anything and Blue Water would often send this like every time I would send a request they'd say you know Sue us if you got to, but it'll cost you more to sue us than we'd than, than right, we owe than you. Right, then you, yeah, okay, right. it's not worth it. Um, oh, so instead of what I did at that time, uh, well, I started talking to you about it. That's when we kind of joined forces anyway. Well, I, yeah, I started to hear, I'd asked you, and then I felt bad, but like I asked a couple other artists that I, that I started meeting at conventions, right. and then the story started and coming out. I and, would go on to uh, the message boards where Blue Water would be asking other people to work for them and I would get in touch with those people directly um, digital webbing at that time had a way that you could message people directly and so I would say hey if you're looking at I saw you responded to this post probably shouldn't here was my experience which is why it burns me about cheesy in a little bit is that in my past I had made an effort to warn more people more often and I had just kind of siloed into like I'm really busy I got stuff going on everyone's business is their own business but now people got hurt because of so that. So is that mm. like the, the lesson that you should take away from this, um, especially when you're getting into it as a new artist or author, um, before you get in bed with a publisher, just contact a handful of their their other artists and authors? And, yeah. I and know just you're ask, using like, a colloquialism, but don't get in bed with a publisher. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's well, don't literally don't literally do that. But also, um, the thing is though, even Chisine had you said he, they had their collection of creators that they worked with that were in the inner circle that had no bad things. no bad experiences. Yeah. So you could you know, like if you got in touch with those people, they wouldn't tell you anything negative about them. No. Um. So it. But it, it's like, would you say this behavior is is not the norm in this industry like i'm just worried about people who are looking to start out and get their comics published and are like oh man maybe they're all crooks maybe maybe there's nobody the norm but i will say renegade arts entertainment <laughs> amazing to work with so, lots of integrity let's great. give it yeah let's give this right so go to them um, uh um uh portage and main portage and main press yeah high water press uh-huh Fantastic. Great people. To work with. Former Creecon um, works there. So far, we have had no bad experiences with the Printed in Blood folks. No, great publishers great. to work with. Really interested in helping artists. Those um, are the guys that did the thing. Chasing artwork. You know, it can be a little dodgy sometimes. Yeah. But, you know. Well, you guys have, now you guys have your own imprint, right? Yeah, we yeah. have our own stuff going on. So that's a little. And I guess maybe that's it. If you, if there's a lesson to take away here, is that, you know, it's just a. It's just old wisdom. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Right. I had a day job. I had books that I was publishing myself. I had books that I was publishing with a larger public, quote unquote, larger publisher. Right. Right. Reputable publisher. At Bay. Uh, At Bay Press so far has uh, got a pretty good reputation. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a plan to do a project with them coming up in the in twenty twenty looks like. So, but I can tell you, I'm going to be a lot more careful to ask more people but here's the flip side if you talk to anyone who works at marvel or dc and has worked there for a long time there isn't one of them that doesn't have a story about getting pushed out screwed cheated like there is you got to take risks if you want to yeah big risks for big rewards yeah mm. it's and a shame it's a shame that that's the state of the industry I would, I, I would, I often say, talking about my own experience in radio, um, it frequently happens in radio that a person is fired from their job as a radio personality. Uh, they find out after their shift is done, after, uh, and then they're done. They don't go back on the air uh, mm-hmm. because they might use it as a public forum to complain about the company or something like that. So the tradition is, and, and quite frequently it happens because of bad ratings. So mm-hmm. if, the, if a radio station doesn't do well in ratings for a couple of years in a row, maybe, it depends on the station but that's usually the timeline then they'll decide to change up the morning show and they'll just fire the entire morning show or even the entire staff they'll rebrand the station they'll reformat do all these things that involve letting people go but that's just the norm and uh, i think it was hal anderson who said if you haven't been fired at least four times in this industry you haven't made it and that's such a sad <laughs> state of affairs yeah that is like sad. that why well, would an okay, industry so encourage that it comes to this and i've said this before um if you don't want to be deceived know what you are hungry for when I was first starting out, Blue Water takes advantage because of what my hunger is, right? I'm hungry to make a name for myself with a weird style, making comedy. I want someone to give me a chance. And here's right. a company that comes along and says, here's a chance. And so you're hungry for that. And you can tell yourself all kinds of lies. You can convince yourself of You can convince yourself of anything, right? And cheesing comes along again, right? We want to launch our imprint with you. They puff me up. They bring me out to their house. We They confide in me they tell me all kinds of stories about other people that have screwed them and i'm thinking well i have integrity i won't do that i'm I'm here for you it's going to be great i'll support this book you support me but again it's what you're hungry for right you want so much 
to be supported by a publisher that you'll believe what they tell you. It's such a long con as well because you get caught up in the project. You get that first injection of capital. You work for a couple months. It takes a couple months to get the book done and published and out there. And, and before you know it, it's like it's telling a year. everyone how yeah. excited you are and how great it is and how they're supporting you. And so now you have this, you've built a house of lies that you're afraid. You know, I think a lot of people on social media who are talking about it now more openly just said that they were afraid that um, they would be seen or perceived as a failure by people that they had finally been perceived as a success. Right, and if you're doing creative stuff and people are telling you don't, there's, you know, just don't bother for so long, and then you finally kind of quote unquote make it, right? And you have this little bit of, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. Maybe it's not fame, but maybe it's some recognition for your work that's wider and broader than you're used to. You don't want to give that up suddenly and say, actually, I was tricked. Yeah. Right, and then you're then you're stuck. And now financially, that's one side of it. I was never, you know, sexually abused or accosted. No yeah. advances were made. But it does sound like that's the kind of shit that was going on there. And that is deplorable. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, as far as the financial side of it, the, the good news is that these, I mean, I, I suspect that, again, this is speculation, that those those we know who are saying that I've asked for and received back my rights to my work, uh, I assume that means that whatever contract they had signed with Cheezing is now null. Null. And and that means Cheezing doesn't owe the money anymore, right? Correct. That's that. So they'll get they'll get the rights back in exchange in, in, in uh, instead of the, getting the royalties that they're. That's owed. why they're so quick to send. Yeah, because they do like okay, fine, like they, we'll just do it with so we don't have to pay you. Um, but uh, but the, but the good news is those those creators can take you can take now take your works and have them published somewhere else. Somewhere else, right? Is if you wanted not like to. A, like a master system. Every time a barcode like that book is sold in a bookstore and scanned, can you not see like in chapters across Canada, a thousand and ten have been sold? So as far as I understand, if there's a listener who knows more about it, who actually is a bookseller, we would love to hear your feedback on this. But as far as I understand how the book scan numbers work, the answer is yes. The unique ISBN number means that the sale of that book can be tracked. So you can have concrete proof that that fudge number report that they gave you is false. Except except that also it's it's probably more false than they would even report because they also do conventions and shows. Right. And they're not probably keeping track of anything that happens there. They sold a hundred copies of somebody's book. They certainly didn't tell that person that they because I know when I was sitting at the frickin' table with them. Like are they keeping track of any of it? Or are they just selling and taking the money? Like, are they doing paperwork while they're selling things? I mean, they have to pay taxes, and I, I assume, in order to be eligible for their grants. So there must be some accounting. But I got at least four emails saying, like, well, our account screwed up, or this or that, or the other thing. So whether or not any of that's true, who knows? Um, somebody released a whole bunch of their financial statements online on one of those little forums that I guess... The story that I heard, it was like a third degree post, was that the reason they're out on the internet is that the person that had done their accounting wasn't paid for it. They were hired to do it, wasn't paid. And so when all this came up, they were like, yeah, F those guys. I've got all their files. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's you know true or not. But man, it's it got to the point that major figures like Jeff Vandermeer in the, in the sci-fi community we're calling it out. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? 
Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Sometimes publishers have troubles and it means more to keep cheesing around for all of the other people that they didn't screw. No, that is untrue. They lied to dozens and dozens of people. They stole their labor and their time. Uh, they stole their expectations. They were thieves of joy, and that is unexcusable. Allegedly. Allegedly. No. <laughs> I, I can speak only for myself. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just like working on a possible lot. No, there's yeah. nobody's going to sue yeah. us. I'm just joking. I bring the, I welcome that. <laughs> so what should happen next? Is this like Are they shut down? Action Are they done? Lawsuit the last thing, I think yesterday or the day before, they you know, said they've stepped down as heads of the company. But that means the company someone, is still a thing. The company's still running. That means, yeah, they're still going when to When books collect. are being sold in bookstores, the money is still going to this company. Yeah. Yeah. But they're giving back all the rights to the authors and creators who ask for it. But here's what, what if this happens? What if all of us say, fine, F them and go away? And for the next couple of years, they pull a blue water and just target a whole bunch of people that hadn't heard the bad story and so and, oh and get new authors and do it all yeah. again I mean they must have known this day would come uh, I don't know or do again th- desperate people do desperate things yeah. I feel like whatever happened in there you know and this is uh, this is Sam Biko's words and I'll, I'll shout out here uh, she made a real she made a real truth telling post but she also made a post saying like let's all remember everyone that it's still two human beings at the center of this yeah, they screwed up. Yeah, they've done horrible things. But their entire livelihood just crumbled around them, such as it was. I don't know what's going to happen next for them. But, you know, do they deserve to be dragged into the street and beaten with clubs? No. Right? Do they deserve to never, ever have a place in publishing ever again? Yes, I think that is true. Yeah. Right? They should go get other jobs somewhere where no one trusts them with anything. Well, yeah. Right? <laughs> mm. um, and uh, my question is, they've, they've, now you print, they printed 3,000 copies of your book, and if those haven't sold, they're still being available, does that money still go to that? Can they still sell those? I guess whatever copies they have, they'll probably, yeah, figure out a way to fire so, save them, sell them as remainders. But a bunch of them, when it would come through the sell cycle, you know, because this is a number of years yeah. ago now, they would ask if I wanted them, and I would say yes. Okay. They would send those instead of being pulped. They'd send those copies to me, and I'd sell them at shows. So again, you know, this was another one of those things where, like, yeah, they're kind of crappy, but I know that I get another box of a couple hundred books every. Are you going of to request your like any of your books that they have to be sent? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Hadn't occurred to me until now. Like anything they have left over, what are they going to do? They're going to want me to pay the shipping. They want me to pay them. For Even that? like if you pay the <laughs> shipping and then screw them on the bill of the actual books. Yeah, maybe. That's yeah. No, yeah. but then but That's then it's just petty. Just petty. Well, I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff with that content still. Midnight City and Midnight City. Uh, and in because Canadian. it rolls oh, up Midnight into City. my World War yeah, Weird yeah, project, yeah. and there's like all this other like. So long you now have like comment. four completed graphic novels that, that you can, can just pitch to another publisher. Yeah, the work's done. Print files ready, ready to go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just change the logo. Um, if I had that to do over, I might, I might George Lucas it. I might edit down Midnight City from three volumes into one thick volume. Cut out some superfluous stuff where I was, I think, waxing too po- poetically okay. with my own work. That might what be do worth think? doing. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? We talked about, or briefly, the a Kickstarter idea of 
maybe not you, but other authors who have have the rights back to their book, but got no financial, they got no money for all the work they put into that book. Like a big... What's something they could do besides now yeah. shopping around to other publishers? What could you I was do? thinking they could maybe kickstart it to print it properly, yeah. like just under their own, like self-publish? Well, and knowing what we know about how printing works, like let's say, for example, you could get... If they were short novels, like between 150, 200 pages, you could get three or four of those together, print them as like an omnibus, yeah. right? And then you could kickstart a like 500, 600 page paperback book, which is not expensive to produce, and put all of that, divide it properly and equally among those authors. Because like it's the same thing. This happened like last year, two years ago. At a couple artists had cash box their cash boxes stolen from their tables at Comic Con. Yeah. And a, um, some friends of theirs put up like an Indiegogo to kind of like help them get back on their feet because yeah. they were yeah this, yeah. And then the community rallied around it. That was Peter Tchaikovsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Montreal. Yeah. The community rallied around that person, and he ended up getting more money than he lost. So he then. In, reached out to other people who had also been stolen from yeah. and then transferred that money to them. Well, like, that's it. Like I've, That's how a community supports yeah, itself. Yeah. It doesn't lie on its royalty statements. Yeah, like a Kickstarter not for that payday that you didn't get, but just to reprint the book so you can distribute them through like a, a nice... A reputable... Kick, well, not only that, but Kickstarter also works as a good pre-ordering platform for yeah. people. Yeah. Like that, That's what it's used for a lot. Is That's kind of that's what I used it for with FanQuest is to sell mm -hmm. tables and passes to FanQuest. I, I went through Kickstarter and uh, people trust it and you have an obligation to deliver on your, your item. So that's a good way to do that and have people... Um, you can also include like a donor thank you page or something like that people can be thanked in the in the notes and that kind of thing yeah. um and that would i think do very well i think that would be a great uh, great idea moving forward what do we learn from this how do we behave when reaching out i think them? it's it's a small community and like any of the clients that i've worked for there's not very many bad ones but if anybody to reach out and say like I'm thinking of working with complex games. What did you think of them? I'd yeah. have nothing but great things to say about the company. Right. Um, I'd, yeah, like, you know, I, and I'd be more than happy to share my experience with them. It's, it seems to me as though stories were circulating about Cheezine for years before this happened. In the Whisper Network. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. But, that, but that's the same kind of thing that happened when, for example, Gian Gameshi... Um, uh, the whole thing happened yeah. with him a couple years ago, yeah. and I didn't know this at the time until that came out. But there had been stories about him circulating. Oh man, about, Melissa Martin's. Like, yes, yes, that's right. There's something about there's, that. There's something about Gian. Right she had a great, phone. great column about Holy it, shit. saying, "No, no, he's weird around women. Don't, don't," because <laughs> yeah. she was attracted to him, and and, and that was uh, like a big warning sign. But so that kind of stuff does circulate. So if a company or some a person has a bad reputation. It precedes them. It really does, you know. So you you will you should be able to. So you have to know what you're hungry for. Yeah, right? and and in your case, you came in right. You were the first person to do a graphic novel with them, right? Yeah. So that you were on the edge of that. And with Blue Water, you guys again were really kind of just starting out. And, yeah, uh, I was. We didn't new have that then. network. Yeah, I was new then, and they were new to graphic novels then. Right. Taking a chance on me. Yeah. As someone who had done a number of them already. So I was giving them more leash because it's a new market they're breaking into and they're trying to find their feet in it. And I, you know, as a person who had owned a comic store, I know how hard it is to make that work. So I had given them the benefit of the doubt over yeah. and over again. So what would you say to a person who is looking for a publisher? What, what are some warning signs in, in retrospect now that you have like 2020 
uh, vision in the uh, if they can't whatever. send you a boilerplate contract like within 24 hours then okay. they actually don't know how to do business as a publisher they okay. should have a boilerplate contract yes all of that is negotiable still but, to, but if they initial... don't have a baseline for how they operate as a business that's a red flag okay number one so they that, that obviously took them a long time to send you a contract mm, yes no it took them a long time to agree to any changes I had to make because all the changes included my ownership of things, right okay right yeah and that was should have been a red flag to me right so this is what I mean they passed the first hurdle out the gate they had a contract they've been operating for a long time they had a way to kind of get people on the hook right to get the book machine rolling so they had passed that first thing but as soon as they started pushing back on things that were related to the release date to uh, when the actual financing is going to be arranged, when the, um, not royalties, but advance would be paid, right? All of that stuff. That was all suddenly very fluid, you know? <laughs> like ice melting on the top of a barbecue. It was just like sliding around all over and you could kind of see the trail, but you couldn't really grab onto it. Okay. Right? Also, do like this just happened in the studio. Um, I don't do a whole lot of client work with bigger contracts. So I've got one coming up. And when the contract came in, I was unsure about whether or not like I'm allowed to go to other people with this contract for them to look it over. Like, it, is it like almost like an NDA thing? Like this contract is just for me. You're not supposed to like pass it. If you over. have a lawyer, you can take it to your lawyer, right? But you can take it to anyone. You can take oh, it, like okay. just if you haven't take signed it an to your NDA, peers you can show to, it to whomever you please because yeah. okay. you haven't signed it yet. If you get a contract and you don't know anything about contracts, get some other people to take a look at it. Just get other eyes on it because it's, yeah, it's not something that's, you know, there's a lot of lingo and things in there that not everyday people deal with. All yeah, the time. no, so, And I the know. thing you want to look at in your contracts, you know, whether you're a lawyer or not, if you're a writer, you're probably pretty good with language. You can look for things that are contradictory statements to previous clauses, mm. right? Because remember that a legal agreement is also itself a moving target. It's what both sides can agree to with precedent if it ends up before a court. And so there are clauses that end up that say like, you know, uh, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, but actually we get everything under these very specific conditions, mm -hmm. which then they immediately try to meet that happened to a friend of ours, right? Yes, yeah, right. So read the contract, I guess. Share it as widely as you can with people who sign contracts. Also, if it's in good faith, um, like this, a recent contract that I just signed, there was, uh, I recently did work with Netflix as well, and they had some great lines in there that benefited both of us mm -hmm. that I brought into this contract. So you're able to approve the contract for both people as well. It works out on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, especially smaller companies, like a lot of them are just copying and pasting what they find from other contracts into one, ooh, ooh. you know? I got a good one. This was in the last contract we looked at for you, but it's a good one to include. Um, so you're signing some, it's work for hire. Someone's brought you on, they've given you a contract. It will have the terms in which they can dismiss you. You should include a clause that describes the terms under which you can dismiss them. Ah, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Not just, you can't make sure the contract doesn't just say how you can be fired, but under what conditions you're allowed to quit, mm -hmm. right? And that's really important, especially uh, these days. The other thing I think that we can do is social media, you can use it as well. Uh, if I had gone on, the moment that I was gonna do Will I See with David Alexander Robertson, right? 
If I had said, hey, everyone, I just signed a contract, or I'm thinking of signing a contract to work with Highwire Press. They seem like great people. They seem like they have their hearts on their sleeves. They seem like really good at the business side of things. Man, I sure like them. Has anyone ever worked with them before? Mm -hmm. Please contact me directly and anonymously. I'd like to know your stories. This is a way we can help each other. They might not be thrilled to know that you're doing that. No, but if, if they're, they're not thrilled, then isn't that a red that's flag? A, it is. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't tell people we're working together. Don't ask them what they think of us. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, what would have happened if I had done that with Cheesy? Maybe I had would have got four or five emails saying, If you saw that don't. exact thing with somebody who's about to work with Blue Water. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. You'd certainly reach out well, real quick. I have. Sometimes yeah. you guys aren't allowed to say who you're going to work with. Yeah. A number of times you guys have said, I can't talk about this yet. Once you sign it. Oh, okay. So, but you don't usually go and talk to about it before you sign before it. Before you sign it. Because, again, it's this fear-mongering of like, oh, they'll take it away from me. Oh, okay. Right? But let's put it, if you're a person of integrity or a business with integrity and someone checks your references, you should be happy to work with them. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're a person without integrity and someone is checking your references, that's going to make you real nervous. <laughs> right? It's yeah. Like criminal background check. Right? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so normally, uh, so in a way, we broke our rule. We didn't talk about how genre. We did talk about how genre gets we made. Got, no, no, but genre like, did get made in this process. Misused. No, well, genre the gets rule misused. I'm talking about breaking, we, we usually don't talk shit about people. Oh, no. wow. Uh, but in this case, they deserved it. Because you were so close to the eye of the storm, I think it's, we're not just reading and. This is not hearsay. Yeah, yeah. this is my direct experience. Yeah. And if there are people who want to reach out and ask, more about how I did things or why I did things or how they maybe want to do things who are listening, I'll share that story and some advice with you um, quite candidly. Uh, but I won't speak about anybody else's experience. You should reach out to them directly. Um, mm -hmm. That's also, you know, it's a good legal way to cover your ass too, right? I can speak with authority about things that happened to me, but I should not try to speak with authority about things that happened to someone else. Yeah. Um, and we don't have to stand... You know what? You don't have to speak for anyone. You can stand beside them and in that way lend them enough strength to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, um, been a happy episode. Happy episode. <laughs> Justin got robbed, Gregory got <laughs> cheated, and Dan. Nothing bad happened to me. Uh, Not yet. Two out of three. <laughs> Not gonna win. bad. Um, this has been an cautionary tale from Super Cult Science, <laughs> encouraging you to join the fight, make comics, don't and, leave stuff in your car overnight, and read the fine print. Mm -hmm.